welcome to Arrows on Air, presented by Tomorrow's Air. I'm Christina Beckman, and this is a show where we meet artists, travelers, and scientists from all over the world to talk about art, travel, and climate action. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, which is different than the norm in that today I am the subject of the interview with Adventure Travel Trade Association president and dear friend, Casey Henesco, leading the conversation. In this chat, you'll learn a little bit more about my background and the roots of Tomorrow's Air. I loved having the chance to freewheel about my collaboration with co-founder Nim DeSwart, the influence of David Hone, and others on this journey with us. You'll hear more about why we decided to focus on carbon removal and why an Adventure Travel Trade Association is actually the perfect place to incubate such an initiative. You have to appreciate that Casey, as president of the ATTA, has been a key player in helping Tomorrow's Air take root. She herself is a longtime traveler and former executive at Zagram Expeditions. Casey started out in the Space Voyage Division of Zagram, and in her time there, marketed a range of experiences from deep sea submersible trips to innovative itineraries in Brazil, Japan, Namibia, and many others, it's really not a stretch to see why she was the perfect person to help greenlight Tomorrow's Air in 2019. She's a poet, a kayaker, a hiker, an excellent listener, and a mom. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Uh, hello there, Casey. Hi. This is an interesting shift to have the tables turned. I know. I'm excited about this. As soon as I listened to a few of your podcasts, I thought people need to know about Christina and why she's doing this and, and all about you because you're amazing. <laughs> say it more. Say it more. <laughs> um, well, I love the notion of it. I think you're right. The more the backstory is appropriate. So, so yeah, take it away. I'm all yours. I'm looking out the window here. I have... I did crazily get a bowl of chips. I was like, oh, I'm going to eat a snack. <laughs> I'm not going to eat the chips while we talk, but um, I do have a nice view. Great. Well, I don't have a nice view, um, but I am in a little cozy corner of my house as we kind of get ready for the holidays. So I'm just going to settle in and I'm going to create an opportunity for everyone to understand more about you. So I'm going to get started and ask you some questions. Sound good? Let's have it. Yeah, right. let's have it. All right. So first off, you know, have you always been interested in the environment? I know that you grew up in Alaska and you have an interesting sort of family background. Um, was this something that you always thought about? No, I no. you know, although I looking back, I can say that nature and time in nature is very much a, like a part of who I am, but I was not one of those kids. I grew up in Alaska, which we mention all the time. Um, and my dad is a geologist and we did lots of outdoor things, but I was never in the mode of protect nature, love nature. I was, and we used to talk in sort of, um, you know, not, not derogatory, but kind of like, oh, those tree huggers. You know, like we, I was not that kind of um, person at all. 
I cared more about lipstick in high school. I cared more <laughs> about like the coolest sorority in college. I really, this kind of um, passion for outdoors and the environment and and all, all that we're fighting for right now um, has come to me, has come to me later in life as I feel, as I have, I have grown to appreciate it and care about it more as I've traveled the world. Like my, I've just, it's probably, it's so cliche, but like, as you get older, you value these things more. I took so much for granted as a young person in Alaska. And, um, and now I kind of see the, the fragility of it, I guess. I mean, anyway, I could go off on a huge tangent. The world is not fragile. It, it will, it, it persists, right? But mm -hmm. our human experience of this paradise is fragile. And that I'm like, ooh, you know, I want my kid. I want my son to have all that I have, all that I've had. I want his kids to have it. Right, right. Well, that reminds me of when, so you went to Antarctica and mm -hmm. I want to talk about that for a minute. So one of the things that impacts me the most about your trip to Antarctica is we we at the ATTA had the opportunity to send somebody on a trip with to, with Robert Swan, and I had already been to Antarctica when through my work uh, at Zagram Expeditions, where I worked before the Adventure Travel Trade Association. And so when it came up, I was I said to Shannon Stoll, who's our the CEO and and owner of ATTA, like. May, this might be something that Christina should do. And when you came back and you talked about where you had gone in Antarctica and the peninsula, I thought to myself, I, we didn't even get as close to where you went. And the reason why is because I went, I don't even know how many, I don't I think you went in 2018 maybe, but it had been like 15, 16 something years since uh, I had been, the ice had melted. Uh -huh. Right. So uh -huh. you're, you're right. Like we, it, it resonated for me the impact that mm -hmm. we have on the planet and so it's true like yes the earth is very um you know has its own power but we also have this power to affect it that mm -hmm. we are doing and mm -hmm. we are trying to change through this work that you're doing with tomorrow's air so i want to ask about the antarctica trip because i know it really affected you uh, quite a bit so tell me mm -hmm. like you were there. What was the moment when you were on that trip where was, was, was there one moment where you said, I need to do something mm. or you made the commitment? Mm. So much. So, uh, that trip was like, I've in different contexts, I've described it as like this layer cake kind of experience. It was like business school, summer camp, adventure travel expedition of a lifetime it was it, it it was such a combination of things that that work the way they want it to work you know so that trip i call it also my second big epiphany in nature my first one was in the grand canyon and then this was my second one so when i got out there so it was very destabilizing number 1 because I had for many years been traveling to sort of off the beaten path places in our effort because we in adventure travel have recognized the power 
of nature tourism to provide an economic argument for conservation, to inspire people to see local culture in new ways. We've been on that um, track for a long time and traveling places with that in mind, with people I know. So Mm -hmm. I'd gotten in the mode of doing really exotic things, but doing them with people like you and Shannon and Natasha Martin Mm -hmm. and people that I know really well. And so the Antarctica, when you, when we figured out how to get me there, that was like, oh, I'm the only one from the ATTA going. I don't know anyone else here. And then the first day we got there was this kind of briefing. There's like 90 some people who've applied raised money, people from all around the world who are impressive, the kind of people who would, you know, intimidate me in any context, let alone getting ready to go out on a ship into the Southern Ocean. It was, so it was, there was this like breaking down of myself, of who I, you know, I'm not used to having to introduce myself and like, and who am I in the context with all these amazing accomplished people And then you get out there on the ice and every day it was kind of this mixture of you get out, go out on the Zodiacs, but I always got completely nervous having to go down to the lockers and find my gloves. And, and I had like this whole thing in my mind, like, what's the easiest when they call my group? Is it easiest if I'm like getting dressed in my room or waiting on this? Like I got so ridiculously wound up. Jeff Binaldi can tell you there was one day I couldn't get my gloves right. And he... Jeff Binaldi from the Explorer's Passage, who um, is the operator on that. Anyway, like I was nervous out there. And then and then there's like the this visceral experience of the ice and the wind and the penguins and the seals and all of it is like, holy tamale. And then you get, you come back inside, you're, you know, coming down off this amazing kind of high from like wandering around on ice with penguins. And then you sit in a lecture about climate change and about, you know, David Hone was one of the real standouts. Um, He's the author of a book called Putting the Genie Back. And he was on that expedition and he gave a series of lectures. He's also the chief climate advisor at Shell. Mm -hmm. Um, And he gave a series of lectures that put climate change in such historical context. And he talked about this energy transition that we all have to make. And I, something, you know, the way, the combination of getting information in that context, like I, you listen differently when you're hearing that in a, on a ship that's surrounded by towering ice walls on either side, it just, it sinks in differently. And so the whole um, combination. So I met on that trip, I met David Hone. I met Rob Swan. Oh, that's another piece of it. So another um, element that I think was really influential there was the very direct message from Rob and his team that was like, don't just come here and take pictures, but do something. Talk to people when you get home and use this in your life in some way, whatever that way is. And so there would also be lectures on Um, storytelling and, you know, the whole gamut. So as I gave a presentation on the trip about travel as a means of conservation, but while I was there, I did start to sort of feel like this could be much more 
this could be focused, like in addition to travel as a way of furthering conservation goals, what if we pointed travel in the direction of climate? I don't, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a precise moment, but the combination of all the things. Right. And then when I, when we finished, when I got off that expedition, um, this friendship with Nim DeSwart was really like, she came to stay with me in San Francisco. She happened to be She's from Australia and she happened to be in San Francisco. And I was like, you should stay with me, which also was kind of a random, like we didn't know each other that well. I was like, move into my place. And she said, okay. And there was some, you know, real kids met there. So I don't know that there was one particular moment, but the combination of what that trip does, that's very intentional around education then the experience, then kind of this like team building with all these people you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, it did galvanize me. I think you really came back with a sense of needing needing and wanting to be accountable to the experience because I remember mm-hmm. conversations where you would say, Casey, mm-hmm. I need I need to follow through on this. I I need to make a difference. I spent all of this time on this trip and I learned all of, so much. I met these people. ATTA, you know, was willing to, you know, mm-hmm. send me down there and, you know, be part mm-hmm. of this and I need to follow through on it. And, mm-hmm. and there was really some, there was, there was a different kind of energy that I felt from, from you mm-hmm. about that. That was really cool. And, and it just kept building. And it, I think it mm-hmm. did build with your relationship with Nim for sure. Who's been such a integral part of, of tomorrow's air and the whole process. Have you told the story about how you came up with Tomorrow's Air, the name of Tomorrow's Air? No, I don't. Th- I mean, maybe in various, I'm not sure that we've ever officially told it. No, the um, on the accountability thing, but that is so true. The notion of it. I also have this feeling that I think, um, I'm not sure who originally said it, but those who can do more should. Mm-hmm. Like somebody like me who is so lucky to be in this situation where at this stage in my life, I can be there, meet these people, learn this, have these feelings. You don't just take that and not do something. It's such a gift to be put in a position. So yeah, I did very much have that. And yeah, and also totally to you and Shannon too, like, you know, this shouldn't just be like a one-off where I got to go have a cool experience in Antarctica. Like, what does this mean for us? How do we leverage this? How we came up with tomorrow's air, Nim and I were sitting at my dining room table, all sort of September. So the trip was in April, September, 2018 was a climate conference in San Francisco. David Hone came to visit. I was able to have a chat with him we really started talking about carbon removal and offsetting. And I started to understand more about carbon removal. October, that IPCC 1.5 special report, 1.5 degrees special report came mm-hmm. out October, 2018. It start, you know, and Nim was living with me or in San Francisco. Um, and so thinking we would have all these conversations about like, how could we leverage travel in this space? What, like, what could, what's our contribution? And there was a a session around the dining room table. She came 
she was sitting there. It was a morning. We were treating it like work. Nim is a is a legit um, force when it comes to branding and having a structured way of thinking about things. And she was, it was like the Socratic method that she and I were doing. And she was pushing us into like the future. You know, it was like, what do we want? What are we aiming for? What's the outcome we want? And that's where we got to tomorrow's air. We also toyed around with the word future, which I also really like, but we felt like tomorrow was more um, down home and like accessible. And in a way that, you know, the air we want for tomorrow is the air we had in the past. And that also is like a piece of what we're trying to, to convey in the brand also is sort of, I'm always talking about this, like nostalgic future, future, nostalgic tech, these kinds of things that are like, you know, don't go together yet somehow do this optimistic vision for the future. Because I think um, people can, there's like, if you get too apathetic or feel too hopeless about climate, then, then you just do nothing. And then we really do go off onto the deep end. And if you keep trying, as I learned rowing rivers, I was never a great rafting guide. I rode the gearboat barely. But one <laughs> of the things that I did learn, like I would see, I remember this guy, Clint Blood in Idaho. And I remember Clint, like I'd be rowing, he'd be facing me and there'd be like a huge, you know, overhang or rock or something. And I would kind of want to just go limp like, oh, I guess we're going to hit it. And he was like, never give up, like push on those oars because you'll, you might miss it by an eighth of a millimeter, but you'll miss it if you keep trying. Mm. And that um, really is also in my mind around climate. Like we cannot give up and we can make it. If you look at, you know, the next 10 years between now and 2030, we have an incredible amount of work to do in terms of reducing emissions and cleanup is part of that. And then I can talk about the direct air capture and yeah, well, so I want to let me talk about that or ask you about that. Yeah. So, well, first, first, I want to comment nostalgic tech. I love, like, I have such a visual when you say that, which kind of relates to some of the things I want to talk about regarding art, but let's get to that later. Mm. But nostalgic mm, okay. tech, like you just think about, I think about certain mm-hmm. colors and I think about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rotary phones and mm-hmm. tape yes. recorders. Yes. And, and in some ways, what's so cool about that is, is we know actually also how much um, digital storage and tech actually the the storage of that um, how carbon intensive it is and mm. is also a contributing problem mm. to climate mm. too right so it's just a really mm-hmm. interesting interesting to think about but it's so fun <laughs> yeah I mean put a pin in that in our social in our messaging plan we have a whole category of nostalgic tech that we like mm. and telling the story of how everything starts someplace and build innovation builds on innovation builds on innovation. And we have so many examples of this and um, we've got like a series of posts that we're, you know, working on that are exactly these things you just mentioned, rotary phone, VHS recorders. Yeah. It's super fun. And the optimism that comes with those technologies, like that feeling of like, we can do, isn't this thing cool? We can use this thing. Mm. That's like the feeling I want in tomorrow's air. Mm. 
Well, let's talk about carbon removal because it's such a key part of, of tomorrow's air. And I think um, was an interesting choice because we know in the travel space that carbon offsets and changing overall business practices and sort of thinking about the habits of consumers, what has always been top of mind, but not carbon removal. And so to decide that this is the thing, this is what it, tomorrow's era is going to focus on was a, was a big decision. And so why did you choose that? Was it something over everything that happened in Antarctica? Was it the influence of Dave and David Hone? What sort of made it settle for you that, that this is, this is what tomorrow's era should be about? Mm-hmm. So David was very, very influential and he, um, we had a conversation in San Francisco at one point where he was kind of musing aloud. He's like, some, you know, some travelers are very affluent, right? He's like, in travel companies, some of them are really big, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. Of course, I work in this corner of the travel space where the companies are small. Um, but he, you know, he posited this notion that was like, travel could travel? What if travel funded a carbon removal plant? And I was like, what? What are you talking? Like, back up a minute. What <laughs> are you talking about? And so he got me thinking about negative emissions technologies as a category and direct air capture and helped me. Like he pointed me in the direction of all that. We also worked together on this article and I'm not even sure why. This is one of the really beautiful things about him is he takes time with people, with all people. He's like a, he's got the curiosity of a 14 year old and the patience of a 90 year old. He just takes, he's just so giving. But so he worked on this article with me that was published in Travel Weekly in the spring of 2019 that, that talks about this idea of, of, of a carbon removal of a direct air capture plant of some kind. So that's a that was a major piece. The other thing though, Casey, really was this IPCC report, mm. this special 1.5 degrees report that said without negative emissions technologies of which there are a, you know, a, there's a whole list. But without these, we won't make it. It's very plain. So carbon, you know, carbon can be absorbed natural systems and technological systems. We, we absorb carbon, as we know, in trees, in the ocean, in soil, all these things. And up until you know, recently, as we have been putting much more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than natural systems can cycle through, they were adequate. So now, it's, now we, need, we need some tech. It was very clear in that document. We need tech. We're going to need to work on it now in order to scale it up by the by 2030 when we've got to be really doing this. And I thought nobody's doing this. Nobody in travel is doing this. There's tons of people talking about all the other methods, but nobody's talking about this stuff. And that felt to me like a red hot flashing you must focus here. Like this is an empty space that nobody's paying attention to that everyone agrees is significant and important. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of how I read that was um, my contribution and ATTA's contribution, our contribution, the contribution of travel to 
these other things is kind of underway. There's lots of people talking about working on nature-based solutions for carbon removal. There's lots of people talking about training for educating tour operators, educating travelers, ways that we can transform travel experiences to emit less and less. I felt like there was a, there's a decent amount of energy in that direction, but there was a, this gaping hole on the other side. Then I also came to understand why, you know, that gaping hole is there because it's hard to communicate. Uh, it's hard to talk about this right. stuff and it's political. And there's so many, um, I don't know, like this moral hazard argument is one that I really bump into a lot, which is if people think there's a technology that can help them, they won't change their behaviors. They won't adapt. They won't embrace the emissions reductions transformation that is needed. They'll just say, oh, great, there's a machine that can solve my problem. And that has that has really caused a lot of people to not want to talk about the tech. And it's, I, I just, I think that's not a reason to not, if we have, we need it. Let's use it. We need to, we do need to reduce. We do need to transform right. and we need this technology. And that conversation is a very challenging one to have. People like to be, they like recipes, do this, then do this, then do this. They like, we like binary thinking, you know, either, or mm -hmm. what should I buy this or that the pink or the red, which looks better on me. This is like, you know, we're not in an or reality. Now we're in an and reality. And that anyway, these are all the, that's what was your question? Your question was why carbon removal? Why direct air <laughs> capture? Yeah, that's why. Um, and also, yeah, that's why. And also it's crazy because it's a really, really hard conversation to have. Like you don't do this from a business perspective that says, this is the best, you know, this is going to, this is the low hanging fruit for my business. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's not. And that's where you come in, Casey, because you, you, I feel like our hearts were united on this a little bit. Whereas, you know, other stakeholders that we draw in have to, it takes longer to get there a little bit emotionally. Well, I was, that, you know, makes me remember our, our time in Banff when we went on the business trip up there and we were drinking beers in um, mm -hmm. the brewery up there talking about tomorrow's air. And, and as you do, you know, drawing concepts and writing, you know, on notes of paper, mm -hmm. as we were discussing a variety of different things. But not only that, I mean, the, the whole few days that we were up there, um, you know, you were really explaining to me this concept of tomorrow's air and the, you know, we were talking about the strategy of how does it weave into the adventure tourism community um, of ATTA and how, how does this align and I was, you know, you were sort of bringing me into this world. And for me, I was one of the people thinking, well, but we have to, we, we have to also educate people, right? And we have to do offsetting. And we had that conversation mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. it has to be all of those things. And I think what, mm -hmm. what is, what is interesting is that there's people who can embrace different elements of it. That's what we need in this world is we need 
we need people, different people to, to be doing Mm-hmm. different parts of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And if we can all be working on different elements or all accept that different elements are necessary, then we can move the needle and, and have change. And as we've talked about many times, there's just like, you have to make it really simple for travelers because n- not everybody wants to get into all of the mm-hmm. science and the ins and outs mm-hmm. of what's happening. They care, but maybe they mm-hmm. they don't have the time to understand it all. And I think that tomorrow's error is becoming a, a beautiful solution for travelers to be able to make a contribution to this global problem that we have. And mm-hmm. I know it's been a challenge and, um, you know, you had to, you had to convince me, you know, you mm-hmm. had to convince Shannon, you spent a lot of time educating, educating people, well, but now like United you know, United Airlines is doing it. And, oh, man. you know, so oh, many things are doing it, right? So like, many things. Casey, when I was at the impact at, at Deirdre's conference, yes. in, so when I was there in, seems like years ago, it was just earlier this year, but before coronavirus in January, and Microsoft came out with their announcement that included carbon removal technologies. And, uh, and they said, they said, and I loved their positioning around I think they might have used the words uh, reversing, like reversing climate change, reversing their impact. They're going to clean up all of their emissions from the time the company was formed in 1975. And so they've embarked on this massive accounting effort to understand all their emissions. And then they're going to use a range of solutions to clean that up. And tech was in that set which was very gratifying to me because I'd been saying, I think we ought to focus on direct air capture as nobody else is. And this is, it's so tangible. We are going to suck carbon from the atmosphere in a collector. It then is injected into the ground and it turns to rock within two years. And here's how this is safe and measurable. It's measurable at every stage, which is, I think, makes it easier to grasp Mm -hmm. for travelers. But that, so, you know, Microsoft was the that big announcement in January, February of this year. And then there's just been more and more the crescendo with the election. It's in Biden's plan. I listen um, as much as I can absorb of the carbon removal newsroom that Nori does. Mm-hmm. Nori works on soil, carbon, um, carbon removal in soil. And in uh, their podcast gives so much detail about what's happening in the U.S. legislature around appropriations for carbon removal and direct air capture is in there. It got it's like the course of the year, the commitment to starting with Climeworks, our partner, um, which these people are amazing because they took the call. Like, imagine this, like the Adventure Travel Trade Association cold called Climeworks and said, hi. We'd like, <laughs> I mean, do you remember those meetings, Casey? Yes. Like, there, these are people who are, I think the carbon removal community and the adventure travel community share the same kind of like, no mountain too high. The like, okay, let's try, let's give it a shot. So that, you know, that commitment to Climeworks, them to us and us to them was pretty out there in 2019 when we were getting that together 
working out all those agreements. And then through the course of this year, more you see direct air capture more and more and more. And now it now it's like anyway, we it the I feel like the winds are in our sails. Like we we are in the right place at the right time. And I'm so glad that we that we made those those decisions. And Shannon also let us yeah, but the you can just see the forward movement even by the the recently released website redone web, website with the more of the content that you've been working on. I mean, you can it's all it's all mm. coming together. And I and I want to say, um, <laughs> I don't know if you know that I describe you this way sometimes. You're like a wild horse going across a plane. And sometimes I'm like, I gotta get get a bridle on her or whatever they're called. Get her, get her. Casey's like, thank God that you're, that you, I mean, honestly, I also, this is like the Adventure Travel Trade Association is the perfect place to incubate a mass transformation in travel. Because these are the people who are like, who are able to wrap their heads around this kind of um, open space when it comes to like, we're not sure, we're not sure where this is going to go, but we know it's important. I I, I can't think of um, trying to, like John reminds me of this a lot because he works in a bigger company, but like trying to bring something like this forward in a, in a, in a place where the DNA is different would have right. been totally impossible. So, um, yeah, I'm so, I know I, I definitely do fuss sometimes about like maybe a lot of times pushing, you know, like pushing spaghetti uphill, like why doesn't everybody just see it the way I see it, you know, but I'm incredibly lucky to be in the, in the professional family I'm in because actually we do all share the same values and people do allow this kind of innovation, we could have another whole conversation on ATTA and why it continues to um, to go on and build. And I think that's because it's open-minded and like innovation is constantly kind of happening in this place. Much, you know, that makes it hard to manage as a business also, but it, it might does. be a core competency. <laughs> <laughs> but as I think what we believe has to manage it. There's a lot of uh, belief and trust in in the passions and the the knowledge of the team, right? That if people think this is really important, then it must be, right? That mm-hmm. this is needed and that this is mm-hmm. this is something that we we need to do. And so this person that is so smart and we trust so much says that this is necessary, then we need to really look at that. And a lot of, I know for me that a lot of that happens that when, you know, I have team coming to me with ideas. But then again, mm-hmm. I'm a creative person and I am not, Hmm. I don't have a problem with change. So it does make Mm -hmm. things hard to manage. That's, that, Mm -hmm. that's for sure. So that can be a challenge, but it's also great. And I, um, before we run out of time, I want to know from you, do you have like a, a vision for what tomorrow's air is going to look like? five years from now, three years from now, it's so hard, you know, no one could predict a pandemic. So who knows what's your like, what does it look like? <laughs> the pandemic really threw a wrench in my, or the pandemic was like an accelerant on my vision. My, so I, um, I would, uh, first and foremost, I would like 
travelers, travel companies, destinations, brands. I would like us all in here removing carbon and permanently storing it. And I, you know, there's massive volumes that are available for us. Remember that chart, Casey? So travel is 8% of global emissions. That's like 300 billion tons. The numbers are bonkers. Mm -hmm. And, and so it feels unattainable. But then if you think about like, well, there's billions of people on Facebook, like it could, and there are millions and millions of travelers, like it could happen that we remove significant, meaningful amounts of carbon dioxide. That's my, like the big vision is we move the needle. We clean up travels, carbon plus some. Um, the, the, um, the other sort of intangible is I would like to mainstream carbon removal and the artist for air, um, is a big piece of that. Like the, the way we want to approach education and this climate action opportunity is it's fun. It's the future. It's cool. It's creative. Like let's do it. And I would love to I think the Adventure Travel Trade Association helped mainstream adventure travel. We have, you know, there was a movement afoot already for the kinds of travel that we value, authentic, connected, all that stuff. But certainly the ATTA was part of giving structure and form and voice to this globally distributed community. I would love for us to do that and be part of that with carbon removal. Let's mainstream carbon removal so that it is as part, along with offsetting and along with thinking carefully about whether you need to take a plane or whether you need to make that trip. Like, I think we can be part of of mainstreaming this kind of climate clever travel persona. I would love for us to do that. I see tomorrow's air as a, a way to um, identify the best sustainable travel brands. Like we, you know, people who subscribe to Tomorrow's Air have access to benefits from sustainable travel brands that we're curating based on our 20 years of knowledge and connections around the world. So I think I see this like, you know, this juggernaut of people who share common values, the consumers, the companies who serve them, the brands, it it could be a place where that all is focused. I would love that's the five year vision. That's that's so great. And it brings up art and I just want to touch on it before we, we do run out of time. What were you always interested in art? Why 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 I mean, love the idea of art making this something that is um uh accessible to mm-hmm a normal person, somebody who, who mm-hmm. isn't thinking about carbon and offsetting. And I, I just love the, the visual nature of it. What mm-hmm. do you have any, like anything in your background that I don't know about that? <laughs> like, were you, are you an artist? I don't even know. It's so wacky. No, I have no, you know what? I love working with creatives and I had in my, you know, in Zola consulting, my first um, adventure travel practice focused on um, advising governments and providing research on the benefits of adventure travel. Diane Hill was my collaborator. And that was my first, um, where I got the power of 
that collaboration between someone like me who's analytical and free thinking. Uh, but I don't know what the, you know, like, I don't know how to represent what's in my mind, the feeling that I have. But Diane with Zola was able to give that. She gave my feelings like a visual. She created that. It was, anyway, that was my first experience with that kind of collaboration. And then I have since always um, sought out sort of creative people. I think they bring, they just add depth to whatever you're talking about. And I, you can see this in like the most banal, like marketing you know, reports to, I worked on a children's book with Ferran Torres, who's one of our artists for air now. I think, um, yeah, like I've always kind of gravitated to creative people when it came to climate. I thought like in this context, I was like, what are all, what's the coolest, what's the coolest climate sandwich I can make? Like travel art, we're going to get the most compelling things, like if we can harness the innate sort of storytelling ability of travel, look at what travel does, look at Instagram. Like if we can take that and combine it with the emotion of art and also like, remember Tree Hugger when we had the virtual reality thing in Argentina? Right. Yeah. Right? Like there are so many artistic ways that you can be animated to action and yet where like a lot of the art around climate are disappearing landscapes whatever leaves you kind of hanging like okay you've got my like in an urgent state of mind or loving this whatever you just put in front of me this iceberg this tree but now what do i do with it and on the flip side you also have a lot of these very well-meaning um causes that are trying to touch your heart, like sending out these long reports and asking you to donate. It seems to me like these two things naturally go together. So if we could, that was the start with Artists for Air was like, can I get, can I, are there artists out there who would be willing to align their work with a carbon removal message? So the action is, you know, you've enjoyed my art, you're touched by what I've just shared with you. Now, if you wanna do something, join tomorrow's air or sign the cleanup pact or follow tomorrow's air on Instagram and be part of this building community. Because as this, you know, as we unite and grow, we have leverage, we have more voice just as we, you know, like with any collective action thing. So that's where the, um, that's where the art came from art and travel and climate. Like these things will be irresistible. People will have to learn about carbon removal. If I package it, with all this awesome stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, and it, it's going to happen and it's happening. So it's fantastic. It's happen. Well, I know this has been um, great for me. I'm so excited for other people to hear you and hear more about your inspiration and why you're doing um, all of what you're doing. So thank you for letting me interview you on your podcast. Um, I love it. Casey, it's so fun. Thank you for letting this, um, I mean, just allowing this to kind of spin on its own little axis in a corner of your presidential responsibilities. I do think we'll have to have a proper interview with you because there are aspects of um, you in this role 
of ATTA president that I think make it possible for this to happen. You're a poet. You used to work on space travel. You're, <laughs> you know, there's a lot, there, there's a lot to unpack there also. So um, that should probably be our next, I should get you in the calendar. We'll flip the table back. Oh, well, that could be fun. Yeah. I'll talk about Iceland. Cause that's, you know, yes, that you were in Iceland with Rob, right? Yeah. But right. We you were at the, time. How did we not talk about that? Casey, <laughs> you were at the geothermal. I've Rob, held the rock. Rob. I've held the carbon captured in a piece of rock. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. We're definitely going to, we'll do a part two. Um, thank you, Casey. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.